0: Thank you for joining us. This is Paul Wilson. And Chris Semke. You're listening to the Diesel Performance Podcast, L5P Week Continues. It's crazy, again, to think uh, where we're at now.
1: And
2: mm-hmm. how much information we've gathered, you know, from other people within the diesel industry as a whole over the last couple of years?
0: Yeah, hey, I want to give a shout out to somebody who I think a lot of people would see as like a, a competitor of Duramax Tuner, although we really don't see each other like that. That's Corey Willis. Yeah, uh, PPEI Corey Willis. Obviously, he's big in the delete game. Uh, he's big in the tuning game. He's big in the Duramax world. Uh, he does sell a lot of similar products to Duramax Tuner. They also offer the line of uh, Stealth Turbos Stealth Turbos so so we've done a lot of work with them in the past and, and had a great relationship with them uh, Corey's been very vocal and very open with sharing his his test data. Yeah. Uh, so shout out to him for that. Definitely helping out the industry in, in the positive manner. Also, Nick Pregnitz uh, from Duramax Tuner was just featured in a video for Diesel Insights, uh, driving the L5P, mm-hmm. giving you a, a, an idea of what is it really like to be behind the wheels and also some really honest details about where we're at in the industry and where we're at with those products available for you. And, you know, this whole L5P ramp up and and (laughs) race to be able to launch a product, Uh, it it reminded me of of uh, another RPO we we released, we'll say recently, last couple of years. And that was back when we did the 2.8 liters. Do you remember when those were first coming out? We had heard that they were out in New Zealand forever. And that's, I I like where you're leading this conversation. Yeah. You know,
2: uh, support was released a few weeks ago. Okay. That's where we made it publicly known. Guys, you're calling in. I know you're calling PPEI. I know you're calling Duramax Tuner. Uh, it takes time. Uh, speaking on, you know, uh, when we interviewed chief engineer of GM, uh, Nicholas
0: Menarini. You got it. Yep. Yep. So XLD program manager.
2: Mm-hmm. The 2.8 was overseas with no emissions for years. And then they had to adopt emissions and, and study that and get that tried and true before it came to the U.S. market. Yep. It's a platform that's now been in the US for three years. It it's pretty trouble free. Like they're a nice platform, but there was five years, four or five years of testing prior. That's right. And that's
0: just what was Overseas, like how many other years through GM was there for testing? Well, even also it then it came here and it was released. It was immediately supported by EFI Live because yep. they had already because been it supporting was already overseas. it overseas. Yeah. So so when the two point eight liter Duramax got released here in the U S, all the tuners had access to everything. Like Nick had it, it was full open access. Nick had files for years, right? Yeah, but the ability to actually test it in real world and the and the practice of just. Setting up a file on your computer yep. are going to be two very different things, and that's and I think what a lot of guys in this industry are looking for is when they make a large investment. For most people, the second largest financial investment they're ever going to make is vehicle. their vehicle. Yep. Um, they want to make sure that it's right. They want to yeah. make sure whatever mod, with tuning, turbo, tires, whatever they put on, they want to make sure it's it's finished. Right. It's it's been R and D. They don't want to be a guinea pig.
2: Well, and I mean, I've had guys already like, hey, I want to tune. Well. I'm not going to use your truck as a test dummy, even if you volunteer it. I, I don't yeah, want it. No,
0: it, it Let doesn't. us do
2: it in-house. We want it controlled. We want to know the quirks, gains, downfalls. We want to experience it firsthand. We want to have the seal of approval when we go to market with something. Are we ever going to be the first? No, we're, we're definitely not. Yeah. Um, will I feel that what we bring to the table is better than anything else on the market? Well, yeah, I, I really, I truly do. Right. Uh, but that takes time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of when we talked with Nicholas Menarini of uh, the GM program, the chief engineer and program manager of Duramax, uh we thought that was a really good episode to kind of bring back right now yeah. to hear an OEM side of developing a new platform, launching a new platform, and he also even back then gave a couple of inside information about what were going to be some of the things we we saw, yes. which now you can go back and actually go buy those products, uh, most of them. I don't know if you can get an Equinox diesel yet, but uh, but I, I've seen, I mean they're I've, out there. I've, I've seen more marketing <laughs> about it. We'll say that. So guys, go ahead and give it a listen. This is GM chief engineer and program manager of Duramax, Nicola Menarini.
3: Welcome to the Diesel Performance Podcast, a production of Calibrated Power Solutions, home of DuramaxTuner.com, a company and brand dedicated to emissions equipped diesel performance for Duramax, Cummins, John Deere, TDI, and many more, makers of Stealth Series turbos and DT Series built Allison transmissions. In this episode, we welcome General Motors Chief Engineer and Program Manager of Duramax, Nicola Mentorini, who has nearly three decades of worldwide diesel industry experience.
1: I started as a young engineer working on diesel engines, and I'm still here. This is an exciting world.
3: General Motors' investment in diesel continues to grow with three engines now in production. The next generation Duramax, the 6.6 liter L5P, the 2.8 liter, and the 1.6 liter known as the Whisper Diesel. So let's get started.
0: So today we are being joined by Nicola Menarini. Do I have that pronounced right, sir? Perfect. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Good morning. Thank you.
0: No problem. No problem. You know, Nicola, we're really excited to talk to you. As as we understand, you are the chief engineer of the new generation Duramax. A lot of experience in the 2.8 liter Colorado and Canyon platform, which we love here. Um, And as well as I hear there's some new news out about the cruise diesel. So awesome. I I know we're going to dive into all of that, but first, can you give us a little bit of your background so our listeners know uh, where you're coming from?
1: Thank you thanks uh, for this opportunity good morning uh, nicola menarini i'm italian perhaps easy to understand uh, <laughs> i've joined the uh, general motors uh, in 2008 uh, and i am a 29 year old guy in the diesel field i started as a young engineer working on diesel engines and i'm still here uh, this is an exciting world and uh, Uh, As uh, as I said, uh, I started uh, long ago in uh, in Italy working on diesel engines. I had the pleasure to work with many of the automakers from the late 80s. Uh, I worked with uh, Chrysler, Alfa Romeo, uh, Rover in England uh, and many others, including GM. Not only automotive, I also had had the opportunity to work uh, um, for a short time back in the late 90s with the Detroit Diesel. I worked for Roger Penske and uh, still, I mean, getting a, a lot out of my experience with Detroit Diesel in the heavy duty world. Uh, later, I joined General Motors and I've been in charge for several years, as you anticipated, of the 2.8 liter, which is currently used on the Colorado Canyon as of 16 uh, 16 Colorado Canyon, we recently launched here in the U.S., and that uh, has been uh, a really a home run for us. Uh, we we introduced that uh, that engine uh, earlier in uh, countries outside of uh, the United States, and uh, introduced it uh, into the U.S. when we thought it was mature to enter this market. Um, as uh, as we uh, we were saying also, we have some kind of common strategy and approach to. Um, the diesel um, world into the United States. As you have anticipated, of course we're talking about the Duramax today, where the Colorado Canyon, they are already available a little more than a year ago, if I recall correctly, into the US market. And the good news, what we really are um, happy about is the result we just achieved on the new uh, cruise which uh, has hit uh, 52 mile per gallon highway and it is the highest non-hybrid non E V mileage ever in the united states so we're very very proud of the this uh, uh, new diesel engine that will be available to chevrolet customers uh, here in the u.s very very soon also with the manual transmission that some customers hey. will really nice yeah
0: that, that, that's, huge. that's huge that's huge that's one of the, the big <laughs> things i mean a, a manual transmission in a little car love it
1: yeah yeah uh, you remember we had a, a cruise with the diesel few years ago oh, available yeah. in the u.s and some customers were really requesting why you guys are not offering a manual transmission so okay the customer input went into planning and uh, now it's a reality and um of course it's available with so automatic transmission uh, but now the customer can choose between the two alternatives
4: yeah we like for that for a little car we like that. for a
1: little car a small car like the cruise is small and comfortable the, the, the manual transmission maybe may maybe something that uh some of the customers would like it's it's fun to drive and maybe with the manual transmission could be Maybe a little more fun to drive. It's a very high torque engine, 240 foot pounds. Wow! Uh, despite the small displacement and uh, very very quiet. Uh, I mean, I- in Europe, it's already used and it's called the, the Whisper Diesel. Really?
4: Uh, is this a rep- is this a version of the same 2.8 or 2.0 liter that you that you guys were using in was it 14 or 15?
1: No, it's a totally new engine okay. developed. Uh, IGM really focusing on lightweight, high uh, performance, NVH, and definitely fuel economy. It's already a, it's on sale uh, in Europe uh, as a few years ago, and even in this case, we wanted to gain experience in other markets before launching it uh, into US. And now we are here. We are with the cruise.
4: Can you tell it's us, available. Nicola, what? What is um, when you say launch in other markets? Like you know, the same way with the two point eight liter. So GM took the two point eight liter globally before it came to the U.S. Yes. and it sounds like you did the same strategy with the Cruise. Yes. What are the unique challenges of the U.S. market?
1: Well, for sure, the U.S. market is uh, very challenging uh, in terms of uh, emission compliance, and, and clearly the highest quality standards have to be met. So, um, especially in recent times, we put particular attention to develop. Uh, systems and entering also the control area, not just the typical ardour of the engine, which can be absolutely um, robust and safe and compliant to the very restrictive U.S. Um, emission requirements. We entered, for example, the, 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 there's the 1.6, for example, it was already born as a Euro 6, so in okay. a pretty advanced uh, emission uh, capability level. And uh, and then was developed to, to enter into the U.S. Uh, just a, a couple of years. Uh, yeah, after.
4: the Euro Six is a very stringent very emissions stringent. level.
1: Um, very stringent. Okay. So um, it was it, it was launched in Europe in 2013, and the uh, end of 2013, and gaining the experience throughout uh, the Opel brand, and uh, and. Um, it's not only in europe but because we also sell it uh, in other countries in korea for example very well accepted yeah yeah and so so this is uh, it is not so different from what we did uh, on the on the 2.8 actually the 2.8 we launched uh, in early 2012 in south america and asia including australia very very demanding markets in the, in other in this case it's a euro four and euro five configuration and then we decided to bring it into into us on the colorado and canyon
0: very good that's- Yeah, with the void that volkswagen is leaving right now i definitely see the appeal for like gm moving into these smaller vehicles and and something that's more consumer friendly uh you had mentioned reliability fuel mileage and performance how far do you guys push yourself? How long does testing or developing take on a, on a small platform like that? Is it is it more testing because it's smaller components compared to, like, say, the new generation Duramax, the L5P, or are they about the same?
1: I would say that the, the, the durability, the validation, the development testing are tuned um, to the engine and to the vehicle. So, for example, our tests are not uh, identical um, if we have to test uh, a little and this MBE, the so-called MBE mid-size diesel engine or the Duramax, they are different uh, based on uh, the weight of the car, based on the performance of the vehicle. So there's some tuning that are part of our standards into the, the development. Conceptually, in terms of criteria, they're exactly the same, but uh, slight adjustments, slight difference in the number of durability cycles, extension of the, of the time of the durability, it, it's tuned to the, the kind of vehicle that will have to use this
4: engine yeah that makes sense can I uh, can I shift your focus a little bit Nicola to the uh, to the, the power curve of the engine right so the when you guys are designing the you know what what spectrum the engine's operating in um, how it's going to perform in the vehicle how are the how are the 2.8 liter and the and the 6.6 the same how are they different? You know what? Uh, what special considerations do you have for a heavy duty platform uh, versus a two
1: point eight? Well, of, of course, uh, the, the, the heavy duty platform has different, uh, different demand. We 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 considered that, to be honest, the heavy duty platform was a- already in the U.S. since a uh, long time ago, many years ago. Right. The two point eight came after, so we thought the two point eight could have been, uh, let me say, the young brother. Okay. So. Um, clearly the, for example uh, features like um, trailer towing capability uh, exhaust braking uh, we push ourselves to um, to the maximum uh, that, that could benefit uh, the, the, the the customers the Chevrolet and GMC customers that do heavy towing on the heavy duty on the midsize we're performing very well I would say but we're not pushing ourselves to the same extent for, for the simple reason that uh, we have to dimension many components. For example, that we can't do it on a 6.6. We cannot do it on a 2.8. So uh, it's, I would say, a, a, a transition um, and downsizing of uh, the performance. That they say the tra- uh, Sorry, trailer towing and exhaust braking performance is transitional. Um, if the example works. Proportionally to the engine displacement.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Now, you have quite a bit of a history in building calibrations for uh, OEM. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. I, I um, Maybe 25 years ago, I was doing calibration myself, so I've been always quite close in my role to how the calibration is developed, uh, and that's a key feature, uh, especially in current times.
4: And you're currently, you know, as you orchestrate these platforms and you bring the the mechanical side into the calibration side, what kind of feedback are you getting from customers? You know, what what are the demands on the 2.8 as far as like transient response or on the on the heavy duty platform? Like, what are customers pulling from you guys? You know, what is yeah, the, the what's the struggle?
1: The, the 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 transit performance is something we we really um, do our very best in order to to give the, the best feeling, I would say, drivability feeling for our customers of Chevrolet and, and GMC. Not always easy, I would say, in very honest, on a diesel engine, on a turbocharger, because uh, um, not that we have a turbo lag, but in order to give the best, uh, the best acceleration, we should have a boost available. And if you push the pedal wide open from idle, at particularly low level, it is necessary, and this is physics, sometimes, for the turbo to start spinning fast and, and boosting and pushing air into the manifold. So, uh, but there is a, a lot we can do in the in term of calibration. Also we have to control, um, to control the air fuel ratio during the transient performance. Uh, because uh, if we do not uh, tune the air fuel ratio in a, in a very accurate way, we risk puff or smoke. We won't, the puffles smoke is clearly not visible anymore on diesel because right. we have trap filters, but the physics is the same, and we want also our customers to have a long enough region interval, um, which at the end of the day is uh, influencing a little bit to the fuel consumption. Yeah. So it's it's a fine tuning and also, for example, the, uh, gear ratios, drive ratios play a good role.
4: I, I like what you're I like what you're going with there, and you guys have stayed with the Allison six-speed for 17 years now or the allison transmission now the six-speed um, so, far. so the uh, the gear ratios seem to be working for you um, the transient response in the l5p is is much improved i'll say over the previous generations the truck feels snappier it feels like it has more torque um, from a driver perspective i would say it's it's much improved uh, more Wait. so than the power numbers would indicate even
1: yeah, the power is always a number that is nice to see, but at the end of the day, is up there. <laughs> at maximum RPM. Right, exactly. So, what the the customers feel, and this is even more valid for a diesel. Any diesel engine is the torque, and not in not maybe not even the peak torque, but the torque at low and the end. And this is what we have been working on in all our applications, um, because sometimes you can say, I oh, you have an automatic transmission, so you don't need the, the torque at low end." That's not true that's not true and this is why you can find also on the Duramax a brand new turbocharger which which is uh, um, offering uh, um, a better transient response we have uh, positioned it uh, closer to the exhaust line in order to minimize the, say the, the impact of the gas column and the potentially transient uh, say re- delay in the in the gas flow to the turbo so this is one of the reasons and plus we are say as always uh, Applying the the enhancement that the technology is bringing forward, and the turbo is, of course, one of the one of the tools that we have to give a a better drivability to our to our customers. Yeah,
4: yeah, Yeah. I I I love that 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 that's a good segue. That That, Borg Warner turbocharger (laughs) and that response, right? I mean,
0: well, that that's it. You know, we noticed that there was there was a big change in turbocharging. when the L5P came out. That was probably one of the first things that we spotted was getting away from the previous stuff and now having a Borg Warner in there. Also, we noticed that the emissions equipment placement changed around a little bit. And I'm wondering, does the emissions equipment, is that a factor you have to work against or fight against to get transient response? And I think, can I just clear it up for our newer listeners? Transient response, that's throttle response. is right. really what we're talking yeah. about here.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, em- emission is first. Um, and the transient response is to be tuned accordingly. There is, I, I would not say that uh, the the after treatment which we have is uh, uh, too much influencing in a negative way the the performance. What we you, you can very clearly see that on L5P the, the architecture of our after treatment is totally different. What you will observe immediately the enormous <laughs> the catalyst that we have positioned <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the V. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that's really that's really key for a uh, emission. That's only a, a, a DOC, so it's being a catalyst. It's not a trap, it's not a filter, it's not an SCR. It takes care of unburned gases. And more than that, being so close to the turbine, it helps to keep the temperature of the exhaust high, which is fundamental for what is happening downstream that you see on the line in order to have the best conversion efficiency of both the pm and also the nox which is the enemy of the diesel in this uh, in this period we have to keep the exhaust temperature high so having a catalyst just behind just downstream the turbocharger very close actually Connected to the turbocharger, there's no distance. Right, just the clamping in between. Yeah, it helps a lot to keep the temperature high.
4: And when you say keep the temperature high, is there a time? Like, what I've noticed in driving and observing exhaust gas temperatures on the on the uh, LML and uh, you know the newer emissions equipped trucks, I haven't got a chance to look at the L5P yet. Is that the truck is? is trying to get the, the after treatment to 550 to 600 degrees as quickly as it can, and it seems uh, most frustrated with me when it's cold.
1: Anyway, uh, it's, absolutely true. It's really uh, true. You're get... absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are specific, specific strategies in the fuel injection system in order in the first seconds or minutes of the cold operation to keep to warm up the exhaust and then warm up the, 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 the DOC. As quick as possible. And this is, in fact, very important. It's our uh, development goal is to have the exhaust warm, uh, hot uh, in the temperature range you just mentioned, as quick as possible and okay. keep it during okay. engine operation. You,
0: you yeah, mentioned right. the fuel injection system. Speaking of changes that we've noticed directly, um, we noticed that there was a big change in the injectors. The current Denso injection system, how has that helped the emissions equipment and the performance of the L5P?
1: Well, the, the DENSO, the, first of all, I mean, we're talking about uh, a, a 2000 bar and we're talking about uh, a, a, a system which uh, is developed uh, and is currently, you can find it on, uh, not just on, on, on the Duramax. Uh, this, this is uh, this is a system that we developed in collaboration with DENSO and uh, not a coincidence that you can find that there is something very similar in the 1.6 we just discussed before and in the 2.8. Okay. Um, it's a, it's an, a solenoid fuel injector, fuel uh, uh, fuel injection. Fuel injectors are solenoid-driven. Right. Um, we did not really find much advantage, especially with this latest generation solenoid versus the piezo. So this is why our, our decision was to go straight to, to the solenoid. And we have, uh, of course, uh, the the the, the real important uh, um, activity that was done on all the three engines that you can find on our on our vehicles on the cruise, Colorado Equinox even Equinox we, we didn't mention in um, and Silverado and, and I just forgot that uh, there may be a van that you guys see very we'll see very soon uh, they have to be tuned together with our controller and our strategy. So we built the strategy, the control, the calibration, really tuned to the hardware of injection system. And this is um, a winning point. Okay.
0: Okay. I like that. I I think we we just let slip there, and I don't know how many of you guys are following kind of the overseas diesel industry, but we've we've heard rumors about the Trailblazer, the Equinox, and now the van. Um, Obviously, GM is, is from a position that diesel is taking off. What what kind of changes are you seeing um, from the calibration side? So as you guys are tuning these from the smaller engines compared to the bigger engines, what kind of big changes do you have to make?
1: Uh, I would say that uh, calibration is very much vehicle dependent. If you, um, There are a lot of features that are in the engine, but uh, they are vehicle dependent. And if we go also a little bit outside the U.S., they are very much emission rule dependent so for example we if we take the colorado for us um, we test it on a euro 6 for example we have to do some work to optimize it so it's it's engine related it's vehicle related and integration related i mean devices like just a simple example the air cleaner air cleaner box we have a mass, as you know, mass air flow uh, sensor into the uh, air induction. That's basics to have a perfect functionality of our system. So for example, just to give you an example, even a small change to the um, air filter box, maybe just to the cartridge, kind of cartridge, can influence the way the sensor is reading the air flow and then the way the system is reacting the, to airflow changes and adjusting fueling and exhaust gas recirculation so it's very much also related to the vehicle itself and the, the interfaces between the vehicle and the engine
4: I'm, I'm glad you brought up the mass airflow sensor on the on these trucks because we we've noticed noticed in the past that even <clears throat> you know it's very common for aftermarket uh, installs of of uh uh, air filtration upgrades or changes and it's 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 interesting to see how how quickly you can throw that system off by uh, misreporting Definitely. the mass airflow absolutely um, we, I want
1: to uh, we, we just to give oh. you an example we control um, the, the system tolerance very very carefully we need to ensure that the combination of the sensor itself and uh, the induction system which is a plastic box with a rubber hose they have to be within very, very strict dimensional tolerances in order to guarantee that the reading of the sensor is accurate with a very small deviation sensor to sensor. Which we call it the min-max adjustment.
4: Okay, okay. okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Um, going back to the calibration side, Nicola, uh, there's been a tendency in the past uh, you know, 10 years to go from 23,000 PSI uh, to 26,000 PSI, and now to, to 2,000 bar, sorry to switch units on your 29,000 PSI, uh, and to, to continue to increase the number of injection pulses per stroke, Right. so to, to control NOx emissions or uh, NVH. Do you see this trend continuing, or are we at a good point now, a good stopping point? You know, is, is 2,000 bar
1: it? We, we will probably see in the next year's, uh, higher numbers. Okay. Um, of course, we are, no, no need to, to deny, we are working uh, to uh, injection, uh, injection pressures that are higher than 2,000. And um, I'm not able to tell you whether it will be 2,200 or 2,500 or so. It, it very much depends on what we can offer in a reliable way to our Chevrolet and GMC customers uh, in the future. We definitely will offer products with higher than 2,000 bar in the near future. So far, what we've been able to achieve with the 2,000 bar, which is 29,000 psi, if I'm not wrong, you're right. Um, it's it's okay for uh, for the current need, but as uh, emission requirements will continue to be uh, more challenging for us, um, the, the availability of higher pressures give to our calibration and um, after treatment development folks more freedom to to work around uh, and, and be able to achieve what we need to achieve uh, in, in shaping the peak best cylinder possible pressure way right? yeah. exactly
0: yeah okay Nicola you had mentioned uh, pushing the envelope and still testing reliability now we know that there are no sae standard reliability testing really out there right so how do you guys really feel about reliability how do you guys kind of respond when guys ask you about the reliability of the engine
1: we 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 have uh, i mean we have our standards that are um, say based on what we believe the the, the durability durability is one thing reliability is slightly different if we, if we talk about reliability clearly we adopt a, All the quality standards that GM has developed throughout the years, uh, in order to ensure, which go from how we treat the, how we design the parts, how we treat the parts, and during development, how suppliers are treating the parts, the quality that our suppliers can guarantee to GM, and and at the end of the day, what we can do in manufacturing, both in the in the engine plant and and vehicle plants, in terms of um, reliability and what we can offer to our customers. What we do, of course, and this is not just GM, but is industry standard, before before offering uh, the vehicle to our customers, there is intensive uh, fleet testing that we do, both dedicated, and uh, of course, these are fleet testing with vehicles that are off production um, or basically pre-production vehicles that are completely representative of what we will offer. We will do specific testing. Uh, uh, including the different climat- climatic conditions, but also uh, we, what we call uh, capture fleets. So there are pre-production vehicles used by GM, experienced employees that accumulate mileage and uh, give any warning that we, that we could get in order to correct anything that is happening eventually and avoid any issue going into our customers hands
0: that sounds like the best job at GM yeah
1: it it is it is uh, and uh, and it's uh, very very important for the development teams for quality because uh, also uh, first of all the, the drivers of these vehicles are uh, particularly empowered and they feel everybody, even if they're not working on the same program or working in maybe finance or purchasing, they, they really feel part of the development. This is a feedback that is really exceptionally helpful to um, ensure our quality standards are met.
4: Yeah, yeah, I like that. And it, that was, you went strong into the reliability side of things. Can we? Can we push you down the durability road a little bit? What uh, what can you tell us about you know durability testing um, and how that affects the, the heavy duty platform? Du-
1: durability testing on our engine uh, is, uh, as we said before, uh, is done on uh, based on some standards. Uh, we have uh, extensive testing and not just full power testing. I can give you as an example, we're testing that are uh, say. Testing at wide open throttle, but we not only test the wide open throttle condition we have, for example, tests that are keeping the engine for thousands of hours, I would say at, at low speed because the low speed is cold the temperature and maybe we have to ensure the operabil- the engine can operate also at low speed for for a long time. Okay. Then we have uh, tests that are for example, shocking the engine with hot uh, hot and cold um operations and, and this is also very very important to ensure that no issues can happen for very long miles uh even even for people that is say starting the engine at zero f and, and warming up from there
0: very good very good thank absolutely. you absolutely yeah yeah you know because we get a ton of guys asking about low speed or idle uh with these and obviously in the past it's never We've never really considered that to be a stressful operation for a Duramax. Now that we have emissions equipment, it's kind of a whole new story where we're coaching guys on how to operate their trucks. Yeah, uh, city driving and low speeds. Or... Yeah,
4: they want to know what yes. they can do to bet, to maximize their driving experience. You know, they know that yeah. you guys test for everything, but they want to do their part. You know, and yeah. if there's any advice you can offer them, I'm sure they would be open to it.
1: Uh, I would say that uh, in, in general, this is something that, uh, as a few years ago, you um, one of the best achievements, I think, that uh, the diesel community, and it's GM and non-GM, has achieved is that we basically stop stop talking about the smoke. There's no more smoke. And this is due to the introduction of the particulate trap. Particulate trap is um, a sophisticated system that is accumulating the, uh, the PM, the carbon deposit, let's say, that the engine is naturally emitting. And, and uh, regenerates, I mean... Uh, can automatically, uh, say, burn these deposits by artificially increasing the exhaust temperature. This is happening in the best way when the temperature, as we said before, the exhaust temperature is high. When the engine is a tidal and remain a tidal for a long time, it's extremely difficult to, to keep the temperature high enough. So the, the message that we could give to our customers, from especially to the customers that are used to do Short driving uh, uh, patterns and uh, very low speed, long idling. is that, it, it may be a little annoying. But for the, um, if you hear, see the message, keep driving. Please keep driving. <laughs> <laughs> <This> is, <laughs> the, your 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 uh, your Chevrolet or GMC is not lying to you. <laughs> if you are to the extent, <laughs> if you are to the extent to get this message. Please, follow the message, spend a few minutes driving, and you'll be okay.
0: I swear I'm going to isolate that and just play it for every customer who calls in to ask about it. That was perfect. Absolutely. When it says keep driving, just keep driving. Yeah. It's so yeah. simple. I
1: mean, it, the, the, the vehicle is uh, is transparent. Is telling you hopefully the truth.
5: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you got a guy like Paul that lives two miles away and he doesn't let his truck start uh, warm up in the morning and he's driving, uh, you know, as fast as he can to work. You
0: um, I, I, no, 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 hold on. I, I idle longer than I drive. Everybody knows that. Yeah,
1: yes. 20 yes. minutes of idle,
0: 4 minutes of driving. That should clear it up. You should not be buying this truck. No, 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 um, no. No,
1: clearly, clearly for uh, for in, in extreme and intensive city traffic, one should ask himself whether and this is very general whether the diesel is the right choice or not and we have to be honest and transparent right
0: well speaking of who are some of the perfect people for a 2.8 liter like when you guys were were developing and testing this over the last several years and thinking about bringing it into the u.s market i'd imagine you had an ideal customer in mind who's this truck built for
1: Wow, this is a difficult question uh, for a poor engine guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I would apply, I would apply, uh, I mean, uh, this the, the vehicle uh, um, is uh, a similar Colorado, you guys may know. Uh, There's a slightly different platform, but it's still a Colorado and it's still a great Chevy budget vehicle. is built in Thailand. I would not say that for U.S. we target the customer to be like in Thailand when you can find in the, in the rear of the Colorado 10 people going to work, but uh, <laughs> uh, completely exposed. But yeah. in any case, I think that uh, in very simple, very, very simple words, my comment would be, it's somebody that desire uh, the flexibility, uh, the friendliness of a pickup truck without going into the Silverado um, dimension. Yeah. So there may be there may be uh, truckers who really don't need the, the Silverado, they, and maybe we can probably say cannot afford also the Silverado. Or and then we we said okay, let's offer the midsize, and and I think the the reaction of the public has been telling us that we were right.
4: I don't agree uh, with you. There's been a strong it, reaction to that truck. I mean, it's, it's very reaction. popular. Strong reaction. We
1: have uh, some diesel penetration, which is uh, expected. Of course, uh, uh, most of the volumes of Colorado and Canyon are on the gasoline engines. You know, we have the 2.5 and the, and the V6. Right. Uh, but the diesel is entering with quite significant uh, numbers and maybe a little more in the future. Um, customers are pretty happy about that. We have good feedbacks. And we're, of course, working to improve what we can for the next years.
5: I would say, personally, working with a lot of 2.8 customers, I've seen a lot of first-time diesel buyers own them. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen a lot of that, and I've also seen a lot of guys that own them that also have a full-size Duramax. Yeah. Mm.
0: Yeah, they they seem to be great daily drivers or somebody who, like, only tows something once in a great while and it's a real light load. Like, those guys seem to love it because the fuel mileage – and the cost of ownership is lower than the gas stuff for for some guys, depending on your application.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Now
0: with the cruise in we, mind, we
1: went. Uh, we we didn't forget, of course, uh, just to jump in the, the 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 trailer towing guys on the on the Colorado. The trailer towing is particularly, uh, I would say, for a medium-sized truck. If I recall correctly, maybe the number is not uh, not perfectly in my mind. We have at thirteen thousand. Cross combined, and this is covering the need of, of many customers. I've been also with the development team doing up and down, as an hour pass, many times in the, in the past to ensure that we can offer, also from a mid size track, the best possible performance for our customers.
4: Absolutely. I mean having towed with the Colorado, I was I was not expecting very much. You know, I I've, I've I've had s tens in the past um in small trucks and I I put my uh, I put my Nova on a car trailer behind the uh, behind the Colorado just to see what mm-hmm. it was about and uh, I was impressed with it. it. It not only the the powertrain but the platform, the chassis itself felt very stable. Um I've, I felt control in in good control of the of
0: the vehicle. Yeah. So even the braking with it. All. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and listeners, if you guys want to check out that video, you can hit the Duramax Tuner YouTube channel. Just look for Colorado. Uh, Colorado it'll up, Towing Test or something like that. Something like that. Like that. Yeah. yeah, it'll come up. There's a few of them. Okay, if we could jump back into the cruise real quick. You had said that this was designed yeah. for a little bit more of a, a sportiness. Are we seeing a power increase as the new cruises are coming back to the market with a new engine? Uh,
1: I'm not sure I can share all. Okay. Um, so far, I think that if you drive this vehicle, uh, you'll see. Unless you did it already, you'll find the power adequate. Uh, There may be evolutions uh, coming. Remember, it's just a 1.6, poor guy.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the (laughs) earlier cruises that we tuned, Paul, I want to say 240 foot-pounds was... That's very fun
0: to drive in a car that size, dude. The cruise was one of my favorites that we've had here for for being somebody else's vehicle and like not a sled pull drag race <laughs> truck. Because we do, we get a lot of daily driver vehicles in here from customers or other vendors that want us to play with them. And yeah. uh, the cruise was just so damn comfortable. It just really was. Yeah, it's yeah, a nice cruiser.
1: Yeah, it is a uh, really a vehicle that is um, fun to drive, uh, comfortable very nice vehicle in both inversion also hatchback who is available and uh, uh, we expect some success out of there, yeah. out of that vehicle.
5: Well it makes a lot of sense why we don't see these vehicles until you do some testing in other test markets because of our stringent and strict laws so it was really cool to hear your side of it uh, knowing why we don't yeah. see it until later on.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Um, i'm gonna i I have one more thing i want to jump into on the l five p and maybe you can maybe you can talk about it maybe not um the so the back to the after treatment system um, yeah. does question one would be the the ninth injector was previously used on the l m l trucks is that still a strategy you guys are using is the is the hydrocarbon injector specifically for the exhaust
1: yes for both uh, for both the trucks uh, the two point eight and the six point six we have uh, In this case, the ninth, and the other is the fifth. But we have the injector um, to, uh, in order to enable, to help, I would say, the DPF regeneration. Two main reasons. First of all, um, you will see you see that the the architecture of the exhaust foresees DOC, then the SCR with the the urea, the DEF injection, and the particulate trap is at the very end. So. Potentially, it could get colder because it's more far from the source of the heat from the engine. So with the injection of of additional fuel, just upstream the the, the DPF, the particular filter, which has a built-in catalyst as well, we can ensure that the regeneration temperature in the area of 600 degrees is achieved easily. In addition, we can operate the regeneration Counting more on this post injection outside the engine rather than um, pushing to the extreme the post injection inside the engine and injecting fuel in proximity to the bottom dead center, uh, which is, uh, of course, something that uh, possibly we have to reduce.
4: Right, right. We need to ring washout and crankcase fuel. <laughs> Like, exactly, that
1: kind of thing. Okay. And on a large engine, this is more, uh, even more important. But I would say the, the more, the most important is that due to the most important reason why we keep it is that due to the architecture, it, the particular trap is at the very end. We need to keep it hot, and and we need additional fuel uh, to to regenerate it and to make the regeneration shorter also.
4: Yeah, yeah, we like to hear that. All right, um, regeneration cycles are one of the biggest questions we get asked by customers who call in. Um, you know, does does tinkering with the truck uh, make the regeneration cycles, you know, more more often? Right. So that's their big question. They're asking us, Mike. You know, my concern or my question for for GM would be: It seems like every platform we've seen on the Duramax as it moves forward on more strict emissions laws um, is is one a bigger Particulate trap seems like every every generation gets a bigger particulate trap, and it seems like our distance between regen cycles and our propensity for passive regen goes up every generation. Um, would that be a reasonable thing to say about the L L5P as well?
1: Uh, I would say yes. Of course, we try to we try to keep the regeneration interval as uh, as long as possible. But more than that, more uh, because at the end of the day, it is fuel consumption. Uh, it's a, it's a balance of course between uh, ensuring that the, the, the trap doesn't get overloaded which is absolutely our must number one and of course the number, the, the, the the way that we can trade on the emission of soot and the need of uh regeneration uh, regenerating the trap not so frequently what is however our goal uh is to possibly avoid any impact to, to the customer. So the customer should not care about the regeneration. It's something that is happening, is something that is taking care of the particular trap. The only, I would say, as we discussed it before, the only real interaction of the customer with the regeneration could be when, uh, in case of the keep driving message come up, and this is the only real interaction that we are forced to ask to our customers, to have with the, the regeneration criteria.
4: Yeah, yeah, we like that. I mean, we like to have a seamless system. Of course, some customers are very curious people, you know, and they want to know what's yes. going on in the truck and how often it's regenerating and how it's impacting yeah. their fuel, and we all, have to tell All the customers, them. I would
1: say. <laughs> yeah. it, it very much depends on, on the driving style, I would say. The, the more the customer is driving, say, I, in a highway mode and constant speed and keeping temperature up because of, uh, uh, say, uh, r- running the engine is use of uh, um, quite high level of, of power. Then the regeneration may be less frequent. Um, in, in if instead that we have, we are doing, for example, frequent uh, uh, wide open throttle acceleration and and then um, longer period of tidal, then of course the regeneration can happen. Um, more frequently, yeah. So beat fall. on your truck,
0: right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you knew I was gonna say, it. yes. <laughs> beat on your truck, what, drive aggressively.
4: What can you tell us about passive regen on this system? Is that, uh, I mean, let's say a guy has a, tra- a trailer behind his vehicle and he's operating at high load on the highway. Um, can he the, expect to?
1: There is a, there is a balance. We do have some passive regeneration in the system. Of course, uh, it happens when the temperature is. Uh, is high enough. We can do in, enable some passive regeneration without the need of post injection. However, we have to say that when running with a high temperature and towing, for example, um, the engine is also using power, a lot of power. Then also, of course, the emission of uh, uh, the, the smoke emission is also slightly higher. Sure. And in this case, this uh, is not really. Uh, bringing uh, the, the the interval to let's say one thousand miles. Okay, so, the, so it's a wash. The, the regenerate exactly. It's a wash. The regeneration is happening naturally, but in the in the meantime, we are also accumulating a little more soot because of the utilization of the power. So the, the, the two, it, it's a wash. Yeah. Gotcha. Good insight.
0: Good insight. Yeah. Well, I think the the odd thing here is that for all of diesel's existence we've been told egt's are bad so get your exhaust gas temperatures down mm-hmm. bring cold air in get hot air out and that'll do it and like that's what every customer who calls in to talk to us wants to talk about is how can i get my egt's down yeah um, i've noticed oems in no year of any duramax ever have they put an egt probe on the exhaust manifold which is where we do it in the aftermarket world how do you guys measure stress on the motor like what factors into that
1: if it's First of not all, EGT? I think... This EGT is a is a good po- is a big portion of that, uh, and um, unfortunately, there is a diff- there are different needs during the engine development. The after treatment would like to be to remain hot, but not too hot. Okay, because 600 degrees are good, 800 are not. So this, this is the difficulty that we have. We the, the exhaust temperature. Um, we have, for example. In the turbocharger we are in the area of exhaust gases entering the turbo in the area of the 800 degrees okay on a diesel engine you can have a constant to if i'm not wrong to 780 degrees this is what you can handle continuously peaks are accepted above 800 degrees and this is how we develop too so we need we do during the development which is both on dyno and on vehicles we do control that in no one case we exceed this specified limit in order to guarantee the due reliability. So I would say, uh, to give you a number, we we can accept some uh, exhaust temperature, as you said, in the exhaust manifold, so upstream the turbine, in the area of 820, 810 degrees. Uh, occasionally, it cannot be a continuous operation, and this is how we develop the calibration, how we develop the hardware, uh, and and this is, I would say, uh, quite standard throughout all our diesels. There's not big difference uh, between the MDE, so the 1.6, the 2.8, uh, and the 6.6, uh, the big Duramax. The criteria are more or less the same. One thing is the engine on the dyno, where we have to control it uh, uh, in a relatively easy way one thing is an, an engine going wide open up is an hour pass, right. where <laughs> you, you may have a little bit of help uh, from the ambient temperature, of course, because it's not uh, <laughs> in the, in the, not hundred F, but but maybe a little lower. But on the end of the day, also the underhood temperature is can become uh, critical. Critical. So we have to control the 800 degrees also in that condition, and also the ambient air is not always entering the compressor exactly at the ambient air. We have some effect where when the air is going through the air cleaner, the air filter box, it gets heated and, and then it, it's a chain. you know, we're going to the compressor already hotter than the ambient, then it's compressed. So the temperature can go up a lot, then enter into the engine and we have the combustion. At the end of the day, this is matter of very long and extensive testing, especially for the trucks in areas like, as I said, the days in our past, and specific tuning in order not to exceed the durability reliability parameters.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful, man. I mean, I, you just made a really good case for a hood scoop. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just want to jump in really quick here and just uh, so Nicola's talking in eight hundred degrees centigrade. So, for our listeners keeping track, that's 1450, 1470 on the Fahrenheit side. So, just.
1: Yeah, actually, 1436 uh, should not be exceeded in continuous uh, operation. Never.
4: I appreciate you sharing that information (laughs) with us and our listeners. That is. That is good to hear from the horse's mouth, absolutely. I,
1: I don't think, to be honest, it's just GM, it's sort of industry standards, because um, there is some kind of, uh, I mean, we in, we do not go to, uh, the gasoline turbocharged engines go much higher, as you know, mm-hmm. uh, but in the diesels, this is the range that we normally deal with.
0: Is, is there some sort of? Concern about parts not being able to sustain efficiency at that? Is it that the turbo won't be able to compress air efficiently over that temperature? Where do you think the drop-off is or the, the risk is of operating above that? What's the first failure no.
1: point? No, no, no. Functionally, it's okay. I mean, um, it works. And the exhaust side, we have a very high resistance cast iron in the turbine, even higher resistance, the wheel. Uh, compressor side, we have... a. Uh, aluminum aluminum housing, uh, and we have a cooled turbocharger, by the way, in order to avoid any shock. In case of a soak, this is extremely important, a turbocharger. But uh, for this kind of temperatures, we are not seeing the performance degradation. We simply would say these are thresholds that are dictated by quality reliability criteria for our customers.
0: Very good to know. Copy. So what you thought
5: previously um, about a diesel, it's a lot different nowadays.
0: Yeah, well, how many guys call in Danny and say, my truck's operating at, at 1,150 degrees and I'm really worried about the reliability of it. And we, we generally scoff that off, you know, kind of explain to them yeah, how EGTs work. If it didn't have were. an after treatment on it, it'd be one
4: thing, right? right. But if it has an after yeah. treatment on it, you have to yeah. expect it to try and get to a certain temperature. And then yeah. if it exceeds, then be worried, right? Right. But 1,000 yeah. degrees or 1,100 Fahrenheit is nothing to worry yeah. about. Yeah
1: and uh, first of all when talking about temperatures we you may have seen that in our in our uh, uh, after treatment system also in the manifold we have many exhaust temperature sensors the, the temperature of course is going uh, from the hottest point uh, forgetting the combustion chamber of course we have uh, this 800 degrees or 1436 we have been talking about so far going down while the gas goes through the the DOC that the SCR the, the PM and and leaving uh, and leaving the exhaust to the open air at the end so there's of course that the temperature is gradually reducing while going to the uh, to the outside yeah. so we have to and and, and I mean sometimes I, I friendly call our exhaust system in the end, which is very similar if you if you see the Colorado Canyon uh, with uh, the 2.8 or the Silverado. Sierra with with the 6.6, we have five exhaust um, temperature sensors in the line, plus two on the engine. These are needed not just because we need to control the temperature, but because through these temperature measurements supported by analytical mathematical models, we guarantee emission and diagnostic compliance. So most of them are used for diagnostic uh, reasons, in order to be compliant with the EPA and CARB rules, which means if some of the uh, catalysts is not efficient, we see something unexpected in how the, temperature, um, the temperatures develop. And then we send a warning. So m- most of these are required for diagnostic reasons.
4: Interesting, interesting that's that's curious
0: yeah yeah that's a lot to chew on there as we're starting to think about it right because i know that i like i'm thinking of three egt probes in the lml right so uh
5: four i'm thinking four four banks that you can pull up on the edge at least right yeah yeah. i
4: mean it's just neat to know that the system is looking for certain temperature drops during certain operations and if it's not seeing those uh you know that, that it can troubleshoot itself
1: Exactly. That's exactly how the diagnostic works, and uh, it's needed in order to guarantee our compliance and uh, to to the laws. Because to be honest with you, the calibration of the engine is becoming a little portion, the most difficult portion and challenging. And where we have, uh, I would say, great advantage is the diagnostics. Diagnostics are is in this latest emission. requirements that we have in the US are very, very stringent. Not only we have to meet emission levels, we have to meet the diagnostic level and we have to be able to demonstrate that we're able to monitor and diagnose and, and basically get any malfunction of any of the systems. This is why we have what we I call the chemical reactor behind, the, behind our engine. We have exhaust temperature sensors, we have NOx sensors, Upstream and downstream the SCR, we have a suit sensor, and we have a delta pressure sensor on the on the DPF. And, and they all work together. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As the <laughs> trucks
5: get newer, the um, missions equipment gets better, and the more data trouble codes we have, the easier it is to diagnose a problem, and God forbid if there is
0: one. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, as, as obviously Nick, Danny, and I are from the aftermarket world with diesels, we kind of wonder sometimes about GM. Um, do you guys, like, is aftermarket diesel performance on GM's radar? Does anybody in the development process know what sled pulling is or ever watch diesel drag racing? Are you guys taking note of what we're working on?
1: We are giving an eye. I I'm, I'm personally have to tell you I'm not completely completely aware of uh, of uh, what you're asking, we um, I, I was making fun. I would say that with this latest Duramax generation, we make the life a little more difficult <laughs> because we are much higher in performance uh, than we were before. So for whoever wants to enhance the performance of Karma. Current Duramax, it will be more difficult.
4: Yeah, yeah we've noticed that you, your your drivers wish. Uh, you know, the truck is much more responsive; acts a lot more like a tuned, uh, you know, a, a tuned version of the previous generation.
1: It's tuned by by, uh, by homeroom.
0: (laughs) I love that. Well, you know, I mean, it it does make me curious because in the aftermarket world, obviously here we've worked on twin turbo emissions equipped projects. Uh, Danny, you drove clean sweep all year last year, built trans and and modified turbo and things like that. And so we always kind of wonder, you know, are we going to have to start competing with the OEM or are we always going to just be able to improve on what you guys have given us? Yeah, I mean, ideally, I think we work
4: together as a... A, you know, we, the LML, for instance, right, the clean sweep, we take a 360-horsepower truck and we nearly double its output. I mean, the L5P, I mean, you know what the guys in the aftermarket are looking at already. This thing's nasty right out of the gate. How much more power can I add to this truck? The overhead. What's the overhead? What's the overhead? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's left, right? What uh, What's the durability test tell us? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's part of the buyer's uh, consideration, you know, is what it boils down to, and it's, uh, it's something. yeah. Right? yeah. In. Uh,
1: if, we're, if we need to, to, to climb the Mount Everest uh, with this version of the Duramax, uh, we are at base Camp 3. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there's some overhead. Well, <laughs> <But laughs> a little bit. That's the... <laughs> no, I mean, uh, clearly, the, I'm not sure, to be honest, the race to maximum power will continue in the future. Uh, personally, I'm not sure. Uh, everybody, we and all the competition, always going up, up, up in power. Is this what, uh, at the end of the day, in the future, our customers want? I- I'm, I'm not really sure.
0: These customers, so we have to
1: do. be very, <laughs> <Yeah>. very, <laughs> very careful um, to, to monitor uh, this. Uh, uh, the, uh, what the customer will desire, and will have in the future. We may have uh, uh, something additional to offer and more power, but. We're trying to develop other ideas inside GM, how to offer additional performance.
0: Well, that's just awesome. Nicola, we really appreciate your time so much today. We know how busy you are and uh, how many important things you're working on. Any last notes that you'd like to give our listeners about the Cruise 2.8 liter or new L5P project?
1: I got one. I mean, uh, we we are now on the market uh, with these three vehicles. Uh, There is a lot of. commonality work uh, that, that we have done. We work, as you may know, the diesel uh, home room is in Torino, Italy, uh, but we have, uh, say, great cross-ocean, cross-Atlantic ocean, uh, cross Atlantic ocean uh, work in order to ensure that uh, engines that have been originally developed uh, in Europe are suitable. I'm talking about the two, the two smallest uh, uh, are suitable for United States. Uh, very soon, uh, and probably you have seen already announced that there will be additional diesels coming to the coming to the uh, to, to the U.S. market. Uh, the Equinox I mentioned with the 1.6, and in uh, the van, the van uh, has been using in the past the, uh, the the Duramax engine, and you will see it pretty soon uh, with the 2.8. A little bit of downsizing, if you want. Uh, from 6.6 to 2.8, um, for professional users, for normally, uh, van drivers. Yeah,
0: we've seen the sprinter market, so that's, that I makes mean, that sense. Makes, yeah. makes a ton of sense. LGHs are, are a hassle anyways, to be honest with you. I mean, it's a lot of motor for a van. It is. Yeah. They run yeah. into that.
1: Uh, I would say that with the lineup that, uh, we are offering today, Chevrolet, uh, is probably offering today a really broad portfolio of diesel of diesel vehicles we include uh, the range the the suv compact car mid-size full size uh heavy duty truck and uh we're very proud of this and uh, we we believe to be on the market with the right products and uh, we continue to develop and to have the outlook for the diesel technology that, that at the end of the day Despite uh, going through quite difficult period if you want, it remained the really the most efficient way to bring uh, thermal uh, energy into mechanical work. And uh, that's what we are doing and will be continuing to do.
4: Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Glad to hear you're passionate about it. I mean, it's uh, It's exciting to hear GM continuing to move forward on these platforms.
1: Is of course, we are moving forward in all the other directions as well. But uh, this is uh, for truckers and, and for commercial users and for passenger cars. This is a really, uh, a, a really attractive uh, alternative. And we have the expertise in the diesel engines. We built millions. Um, only the trucks were here in the United States for a few years. We're coming with more products and... Uh, we have uh, all the knowledge that is needed in U.S. and in other countries that contribute, the other countries where GM has development centers which are contributing to, this, uh, to the quality and the, the success of these products.
0: Preaching to the choir. I love it, man. I love it. We are excited over here. Um, again, thank you so much for your time. This has been so insightful for our listeners.
1: It's very
5: apparent why they pay you the big bucks over there at GM. So.
1: <laughs> thank <laughs> you very much. It We've was a, a pleasure for me to. Was a pleasure for me, guys. Well,
0: listeners, uh, this has been Paul Wilson. I'm Danny Voss. And Nick Pregnitz. Thanks for listening.
3: The Diesel Performance Podcast is brought to you by Calibrated Power Solutions, home of DuramaxTuner.com. Calibrated Power develops emissions-equipped calibrations for a wide variety of diesel powertrains, including Duramax, Cummins, Power Stroke, John Deere, Case, New Holland, and many more. For more information and the best customer service in the industry, check out CalibratedPower.com or call 815-568-7920. That's 815-568-7920. If you'd like to contact the podcast, send us a message through Facebook or email paul at duramaxtuner.com or chris at cehmke at duramaxtuner.com. Hey, thanks for listening. Your feedback is appreciated. Please rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and by all means, let us know if you have any ideas for a podcast. We'd love to hear from you.
2: And I mean, I've mean, i had guys already like, hey, I want a tune. Well, I'm not going to use your truck as a test dummy, even if you volunteer it. I don't yeah, want it. No,
0: it, it, it Let doesn't. us do
2: it in-house. We want it controlled. We want to know the quirks, gains, downfalls. We want to experience it firsthand. We want to have the seal of approval when we go to market with something. Are we ever going to be the first? No, we're, we're definitely not. Yeah. Um, will I feel that what we bring to the table is Better than anything else on the market? Well, yeah, I I really, I truly do. Right. Uh, But that takes time.